0: Gina Della from Pella. Get up to 5 years no interest, 5 months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 555's been extended, but only through October 31st. See PaulaWI.com.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. This is one of the truly bizarre stories from the world of sports. I'm not sure how much attention it's getting one of the good one look i'm a brewers fan so the st louis cardinals are are a rival and you know you you don't want to necessarily see the the cardinals do well but let's face it The Cardinals had an amazing September, 17 games in a row that they won, and they moved themselves from sort of like a a middle-of-the-pack thing to a a dominant force. I mean, nobody wanted to play the Cardinals at the end of the year. So they go into the wild-card game against the Los Angeles Dodgers, who I think are probably now the favorites to win the World Series. They have that one-game wild-card against the Los Angeles Dodgers. This is after having this incredibly hot September, and they, they end up losing... Late innings, you know, on a walk-off home run or something like that, but it was certainly a very, very credible showing. It's not like they backed into it. And I think if you look at this car at the St. Louis Cardinals team and you look at their pitching staff, you know, you you would say, well, um, it's not the greatest team. You know, I mean, they've got some very, very good players. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to knock them, but, but it's not like it's the 1927 New York Yankees or anything. And did I mention they won 17 games in a row? Well, here's the story. Yesterday they fired their manager. They fired their manager. His name is Mike Schultz. And and, and the interesting thing about this is he this is a guy who was part of the organization for like 20 years. He he came up. I mean, he started as a scout and then came up through the minor league system. You know, he took over a couple of years ago as the manager. And I think um, I was looking at this this morning, you know, since he took over in I think it was like 2018 during that period of time, he has there's only like two teams that have better records than he has um during that that time. And one is Los Angeles and uh one is the um is the Yankees. One are the Dodgers, one are the Yankees. And if you'd look at the lineups, you know, would you rather be have the Yankees line up or the Dodgers lineup or the Cardinals line up? I think pretty much everybody would say, well you'd rather have the Dodgers line up or, or the Yankees lineup. So by all intents and purposes, this guy did a really, really good job like I say, he had the Cardinals playing great baseball and very, very successful. And apparently nobody quite knows the story behind this. It, it's not a scandal or anything, but he apparently got on the wrong side of the Cardinals president of baseball operations. Um, the who is like the, his name is John Mozeliak. He's sort of the, the equivalent of David Stearns. And Mozaliac, despite this guy's success, apparently got, got mad at the manager because as near as you can figure out, in meetings, you know, internal meetings, it's not like the guy was holding press conference and stuff, but in internal meetings, he apparently went in and said, as near as I can figure out, hey, we need to sign a couple free agents. You know, if if you want us to get back and win the World Series, you know, we need a couple more ball players. You know, we're we're the Cardinals' philosophy is always let's develop minor league players, let's get them to the majors and then you know let's succeed. And he said, "This. the truth is, we need, we've got some holes that w- if we're going to win the World Series, if that's really our goal, we need to go out and we need to, to fill a couple of these holes. And apparently, the uh, president of baseball operations didn't like being told that. One of the other beefs they have is apparently there's a hitting coach that pretty much nobody likes except the the, the president of baseball operations. So the the hitting coach has kind of been at odds with the other coaches, and they pretty much decided, just like in the last show of the Mary Tyler Moore show, when new ownership comes in and they're trying to figure out what's wrong with the station, they fire everybody but keep Ted Baxter. Well, that's what the Cardinals have done. They've said, okay, we're going to keep our Ted Baxter hitting coach, and we're going to get rid of everybody else. It's just a flat-out bizarre story because there's all sorts of times when managers, of course, get get fired and you understand that there's conflicts and stuff, it's just bizarre to see something like this happen. He's got one year left on his contract, so if he doesn't take another job, he he still gets paid, so you don't need to have a a tag sale or anything like that for him. And he is the Cardinal's manager. My guess is he immediately becomes one of the leading candidates for a number of other jobs, including like the San Diego Padres job is up. So I I, I doubt that he's going to be out of work for too long. But the interesting thing, again, is how weird this goes in the world of sports, when you can have this incredible success, you you finish as arguably the hottest team in baseball. You lose the one-game playoff. But I think it would be fair to say that If they had been able to beat the Dodgers in that one game, not lost, you know, in that walk off in the ninth inning or whenever they did, I think it would be fair to say that the Cardinals would be the team that nobody in baseball wanted to play, given how well they were playing at the end of the year. And they they dumped the manager just kind of. Kind of strange. There is something to be said about continuity, and that's one of the things I know. After the Brewers, you know, unfortunate um, demise in the playoffs, you know, a lot of people were looking at Craig Council, and I, I think it would be fair to say that uh, pretty much everything Council did in the series against Atlanta backfired. It just nothing, none of the buttons he pushed worked, and you can argue that. You know, some people say, oh, maybe he panicked in this. But problem is he had a team that wasn't hitting, and so he had to do a lot of this stuff to try to make, make things happen. And, again, pretty much nothing he did worked. That doesn't, to me, make him a bad manager. If you look at the success he's had over the years, I think he's got the perfect temperament for a season and hopefully – he he learns a little bit from you know some of these playoff disputes, but but again it's that continuity with an organization that makes you think oh you know th- this is a, a good team to play for or work for. Uh, St. Louis kind of makes you wonder what's going on there. Hey, a follow up to something we talked about yesterday. No surprise here. More details emerging on the woman who was killed. By the hit and run driver at the Holiday Inn Express in Walwatosa Thursday morning. At the time, police we were talking about this yesterday. Police didn't hadn't released a bunch of details, and it was like, well, we we get a call that there's an attempted car theft at the hotel, and then simultaneously we get a call that somebody's been hit and killed. Here here's more details on it. Forty-seven year old woman is dead after she was in, intentionally hit by an SUV after she tried to stop an attempted car theft at the Holiday Inn. Express Express Hotel. The incident occurred near the uh, 11,000 block of West North Avenue, just down the street from the hotel. The victim tried to intervene in the attempted car theft and was struck by a dark colored SUV. The victim died at the scene. Police confirmed that the attempted auto theft and the death were connected. They're investigating this, obviously, as a homicide. And right now, there's nobody in custody for this. But here you have another situation where, not just in the city of Milwaukee, but in the suburbs, car thefts just increasing astronomically. A number of people dying in these reckless driving and and hit-and-run situations just up, just through the roof rampant in the milwaukee uh, area and again it happens over and over again because almost nobody is held accountable for these things and another woman is dead because of this and i asked the question rhetorically how much more of this are we going to take all right when we come back i want to talk about people who are quitting the workforce and what they're doing it's going to be interesting stick around jeff wagner on wtmj Looking for somewhere fun to watch this Sunday's Packers game? Well, join WTMJ Steve's Graffiti at Left's Lucky Town in Wauwatosa. I spend, uh, many St. Patrick's days there. You can enjoy $18 Miller Light buckets and $20 Vizzy, Vizzy buckets, as well as the WTMJ Street Team with games, getaways, and prizes. It's the WTMJ Miller Light Watch Party this Sunday at noon at Left's Lucky Town in Wauwatosa. I know that, that Vizzy stuff is extremely popular. I've never had one. And I'm not sure not sure I'm ever gonna be tempted to have one, but that's okay. I know that it's very popular with a lot of people. All right, I wanna double back on something we talked about a few days ago because it, it continues to be something that's just amazing to me. If, If you haven't been following this for August, which is the last month they have records, what they said is they said 4.3 million people quit their jobs in August about 2.9% of the workforce. And those numbers are up from the previous record set in April of about 4 million people quitting. So what you have, and and these aren't people that are being fired. These aren't people who are being downsized. These are, are people who are just making the decision that they're done Working at least done working at the jobs they're at and and they're leaving, and in many cases, maybe the majority of cases they're leaving without another job in in line it's not like hey I'm quitting my job, and uh, next monday i'm starting somewhere else I'm going across the street because I can get a better deal or whatever it's just that at least temporarily they're dropping out of the workforce now, in some cases it's older workers who maybe you know, worked through the pandemic and, and were burned out. In some cases, it might be workers who are faced with the vaccination mandate. And I understand some people want to stick their uh, fingers in their ears and pretend that that's not an issue, but it is. So, you know, they're, they're saying, okay, look, I don't want my employer forcing me to get vaccinated. I've made the decision. I'm not going to do it. So I, I'm just, I'm going to move on. I'm going to take early retirement or I'll, I'll figure out what I want to do with my life. But more and more people are, are just saying, Enough I, i'm I'm done, which of course raises this issue, which is you know, how, how do you you know how do you live? How do you deal with something like this? you know if you simply decide, okay I'm I, I'm going to I'm gonna stay home and I'm gonna take care of of the kids. And I'm gonna give up that that salary, and then I'll try to figure this out six months from now or a year from now or maybe two or three years from now. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I have a why question, because I admit I'm fascinated by this. And this comes from the perspective of somebody who has worked my my entire life, uh, essentially. I mean, I I remember I got out of college in three and a half years and I came back here and I worked full-time until I went to law school and the first semester of law school, I was a full-time student. Even after that, through law school, I I had a part-time job and then on, I mean, I haven't worked at that many different places over the course of my lifetime, but when I left one job for another job, typically it was, okay, I'm quitting the one job on a Thursday or Friday and I'm at the new place on on Monday. So I I just, the, the idea, of not working, especially if you were in your 30s or your 40s or, or your 50s, the idea of just like, like not working. I'm just going to quit the job and I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do. To me, I, I just, I don't quite understand it. It's just not where my mindset is, but yet there's millions of people And more and more, it appears, every day who are just kind of dropping out of the workforce. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you believe is driving this? And... If you're one of those people that, that's kind of made that decision or is sort of close to making that decision, I would be fascinated to talk to you because you are certainly not alone. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What's going on here, and is this going to be part of a continuing trend? Is this just an aberration because you've got COVID and you've got all this other stuff, or is this part of a long-term trend? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm in my 50s. I'm not quitting. Do these people not have mortgages, food, heating, and electric bills? How do people plan to survive? Which is, I mean, that's the the interesting question. Let's start with uh, Karen in Kenosha. Hi, Karen.
3: Hi, how are
2: you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, tell me your story
3: yeah so i left my job in december and interestingly sort of similar to the st louis Cardinals story i was doing some of the best work of my career i'm 55 uh, i was making over two hundred thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. so good income and my boss and i it was just toxic right and we couldn't get along with each other and so i knew that about two weeks into my job and so i cut my cleaning lady i cut my budget. I just really, really just stripped things back, got rid of cable. Um, My husband and I are fortunate. Uh, we have no debt, no car payments, no mortgage. We also do not have children. Right. So I think every story is very different. Mm-hmm. But I have not worked since December. I'm casually looking for other jobs. Now, my husband does have a job. Right. He does have benefits, which is great.
2: Yeah, but but still, I mean, your household income—if you were making that kind of dough—to go from you know a two-income family down to one, it, obviously there there had to have been an impact on your on, on your, your on your income and your in your lifestyle.
3: Absolutely. So we can no longer max out our four hundred and one k. You know, there are other things that we cannot do. Uh, I did. We actually invest with Annex Wealth Management. Mm-hmm. We love them. So we kind of pressure tested. You know, our current investments and where we stand. And honestly, they told me that if I don't contribute anything else, that will actually be okay. But I would like to say that we never lived beyond our means or extravagantly. Right. So I shop at Aldi. I mean, I did, I did that before, you know, and it's like, so we really took preventative steps even when times were good to say, you know, there's no price for freedom, mm-hmm. right? And if you get into a situation that's untenable, mm-hmm. you can exit. So again, I think every story is really, really different. Right, and in your particular um,
2: case, you know, you, it's last December, and you said you're casually looking for, so if, I interpret that to mean, yes. if the right thing comes along, you, you'll consider going back, but if, if that doesn't happen, you're, you're comfortable with where you guys are moving forward.
3: Uh, That's correct. Interestingly, I was looking at a career pivot anyway, and so some of the, the jobs that I'm looking at are things like teachers, a things that pay significantly less right. <laughs> than what I made before. Right. Um, you know, it was just one of those opportunities in life to say, "Wow, I probably have ten years left, you know, to work. Um, what would be really meaningful to me?" Right. And so, in the meantime, we we're just fostering a puppy through a rescue organization. Sure. We've actually fostered two dogs. Um, yeah. I work with foreign exchange students. Yeah. So So you're I keeping life. busy I'm I value. Mm-hmm. I'm just not making
2: up to do it. <laughs> Interesting. Now thanks to the call Karen. I appreciate that. Those I'm I'm just fascinated by this. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're going to carry over this conversation. Uh, millions of people are dropping out of, of the workforce. Um, and, and it's it's the voluntary dropouts. It, it's the people like Karen. My guess is a lot of people aren't in the financial situation that she's in. But what is going on? How do people live? What is the thought process behind this? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Here's a text. Jeff, I know several folks have quit their jobs in the past 18 months. One has an Etsy shop. That's like an online craft things. She makes uh, about uh, two grand a month, which is enough for her to live on. Another makes similar money as a graphic designer on Fiverr. The gig economy makes working for yourself more viable and less likely to show up in jobs reporting. It definitely beats punching a clock for minimum wage and no benefits. Let's talk to Nate in Elkhorn. Nate, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon.
4: Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thanks. So, uh, to start my start my story here, I, I did masonry and I was in the union for 18 years and the lack of skilled trade around me is what got me to just get out of that. I had a pension, I had health insurance and um, I didn't really have a plan. Mm-hmm. So the entrepreneur in me decided to start up my own screen frame business and I'm doing a hell of a lot better than what I was before. Okay, um, I think... I think a lot of it is um, people are starting to realize that they they live in a they can budget and they can um, make the same amount mm-hmm. or even if it is a little less, but be happy.
2: Right. With that. So you think a lot of it is just this happiness. People are sitting there saying, look, I don't I don't like what I'm doing. I'm not happy with this. Life is short. Let's let's just figure out there's got to be something else I can do that makes me feel more satisfied, even if I'm making less dough.
4: Correct. And I, I feel like there's no greater satisfaction. I'm sorry. Um, satisfaction. I'm trying to word my words up. <laughs> um.
2: No, the, like sense the, of satisfaction. always
4: satisfied, and doing some doing something on your own mm-hmm. and creating something. And yeah, you might be putting in a lot more time and working more hours, but that, yeah, that final love it. product, that end goal, is all you. No, and I, there's nobody else that can take that or tell you what you can do, what you can't do anymore.
2: No, um, I get it. No, thanks for calling. You know, Nate, I, I've um, I, I really respect entrepreneurs. I I just didn't have that gene. You know, I mean, I always. There's something about... I, I've always worked for corporations or I worked for the federal government for a while, and I've always liked that sense of job security, knowing that, hey, every every two weeks or twice a month or whatever, you're gonna open up your bank account statement and there's gonna be money in it, and you know, you're know you not gonna to have to worry about scrambling for your health insurance and things like that, that, that sense of security. I, I've always liked that, but on the other hand, I, I understand that in some respects, for, for some people, I wouldn't say it's for me, but for some people, that, that's, that's been limiting. I've, I've been fortunate enough to work jobs that I absolutely loved doing, um, for most, for the better part of my life. But I understand there's a lot of people who are, aren't in that situation. And I have the greatest respect for people like you, Nate, who are willing to say, look, I'm, I'm just not happy. Life is short and I'm willing to take, I'm willing to take risks, understanding that some of those risks don't work out. Steve in Milwaukee, Steve, you're on WTMJ.
0: Hi, my, uh, my story is a little bit different, but, uh, I think, uh, A lot of people are just tired of being treated horribly. Mm -hmm. Uh, In my situation, I work for a contractor that works for Amazon, and we work really, really hard and do a lot, and they talk about how they're such a woke corporation and how it's all great and whatever. This past year, we got our raises, and our raises were pathetic. Uh, I mean, to the tune of like 12 cents, 13 cents, or whatever. Uh, My particular case, I was uh, uh, new with the company, and I was given an excellent rating, and some corporate uh, penny pincher changed it to a good because some reason you can't have an excellent when you do a building startup. Okay. And in my compensation, my uh, my bonus, which is a fifteen percent uh, bonus of my salary, changed it from a hundred percent to a ninety-seven so, percent. So you so just felt about, you just
2: felt you were just. Disres- bottom, disres- bottom line is you felt you were disrespected by your employer.
0: Oh, good. It gets even better. So (laughs) Amazon decides to adjust the compensation because they feel they're underpaying us. So about four months later, they come back and they adjust everybody's pay. My pay was adjusted by a penny. (laughs) $41.10 over the course of a year. And I told my boss, if you ever set me down and did that to me again. I would get up and leave the building and never come back and never speak to anyone again.
2: Yeah, thanks. For, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I get, yeah, I get the idea. And I think there there is an element of that. I, I think particularly, I think, I think if you feel like you are disrespected, I mean, again, I I can't imagine working in that environment and I, I, I work for a good company I've, I've worked for a series of good companies where I always feel like I'm treated with respect and it's not to say that I always agree with every decision that's made but I understand where they're they're coming from and I appreciate being treated as an individual if I worked at a place where I thought I was just being treated as a number especially as you get to a point where maybe you say oh, okay you've got the financial security to make certain decisions you know so you're if you're if you're if you don't like what you're doing and you can afford to not do it, then, then why continue? Fascinating text. Jeff, yes, I've not worked full-time in nearly 12 years. After turning 46, I was making six figures, working my butt off. A life event happened that showed me I was sending a third of my income to taxes, living on a third and investing the rest. Um, actually, I, I've been fine. I live the same, I, I pay no taxes. I enjoy my investments. I do gig work on contracts, projects when I'm bored. The same thing is happening to others. I think a lot of people have discovered over the past 18 months that they don't have to work. You know, there's a story in the Washington Post about this today. They've, they've run several stories. I just kind of find it fascinating. And one of the things that they're saying is that what some workers are finding is that when they they leave the, the workforce – their, their expenses you know, go down. They're, they're not. They're not having to buy clothes for work. They're not having to. You know. They're. They're. They're not driving their cars as much, and so their their expenses end up going down. And they're just kind of making this decision f- about the, you know, whole idea of of life is short, and we're trying to figure out different things. I don't know where this ends, and but it, it's a really interesting thing because, for for years and years, the the model. That we had in this country was okay you you get out of school whether it's high school or college or law school or medical school or whatever and you go to work and then you work until you get to around the retirement age whether it's 62 or 65 or 67 or whatever it's going to be and then you kind of retire that dynamic appears to be changing and my guess is there's a lot of people that are are dropping out of the system um, who who just made the decision that hey we can get by? I think you know, and a number of people are making the point in the text as well. As we go to more of an entitlement mentality, I think that that also some people are making that that equation. Well, if I'm if I'm not. Over the certain income level I qualify for this benefit and that benefit and this benefit. And if I work and I start making money, well then I don't qualify for the child care and I don't qualify for this. So, you know, why why end up working? It's going to have, I think, a long term impact on the labor market moving forward. We're just starting to see the impact of that. Jeff
1: Wagner on WTMJ.
2: I have the latest developments from Fred what is fred well you need to listen to the program more often here's the background james madison what does James Madison have to do with Fred? Well, if you haven't heard this before, just, just hang on. All right. James Madison, by way of background, he was born to a prominent Virginia planting family in 1751. James Madison went on to become, you know, one of the founding fathers. He was a leader in the United States House of Representatives after the ratification of the Constitution. He was a close advisor to President George Washington. He was the main force Behind the ratification of the United States Bill of Rights. Um, he went on. Thomas Jefferson was elected in 1800 to be the president. James Madison served as the Secretary of State from 1801 to 1809. He supervised the purchase of the Louisiana, the, of the the Louisiana Purchase, which greatly increased the size of the United States, while he was serving as Secretary of State, he co-wrote the Federalist Papers, he co-founded the Democratic Party, and again, he was a Secretary of State. When Thomas Jefferson stepped down after two terms as the president. James Madison was elected as the fourth president of the United States, where he served from 1809 to 1817. Like I say, he is generally regarded as the father of the Constitution, all right, for his role in helping to draft the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. All right, I go through that background because James Madison was the real thing, all right, one of the founding fathers. And by the way, The city of Madison, the city of Madison, you know, where the state capital of Wisconsin is, that is named after James Madison. It's not named after Harry Madison. It's not named after Louise Madison. It is named after James Madison, the fourth president of the United States. In Madison, there is a high school. The high school is called James Madison Memorial High School. And it has been James Madison Memorial High School for years and years. Most people refer to it as Memorial, Madison Memorial, but it's James Madison Memorial High School. All right. It has been that way for years. Well, what has happened is the politically correct and the perpetually offended have decided we cannot have anything named after James Madison because despite all these different accomplishments, which I have just listed, and, and you could go on and on and on. I was just kind of giving you the, the Reader's Digest version of it. James Madison also, as I said earlier, was born into a prominent Virginia planter family, and his family owned slaves. Now this, I think slavery, as we have talked about before, is, is America's original sin. No question about it. But, but that's, that's happened. If you look at the founding fathers, many of them owned slaves. It was abhorrent, but it was the way things were in 1750s. So now what's happened is you have some people who say, okay, well, we appreciate that James Madison is has accomplished all these different things, but, we, we cannot honor him. We, we've gotta cancel the founding fathers. We, we can't, we can't have Washington. We can't have things named after Washington. We can't have things named after Jefferson. The list goes on and on. And James Madison is the latest target. So you have some of these pointy-headed elites who've decided we have to change the name of James Madison Memorial High School. Now I bring this up because, um, yesterday there was a, a public hearing. On, on this, out in Madison, and apparently uh, the community offered 155 public comments on the name change. There's four different possible names that they are considering Vel Phillips Memorial High School, Darlene M. Han- Hancock Memorial High School, Bruce Dahman Memorial High School, and then just simply Memorial High School. And of the people that made the comments, The majority, I think, supported Darlene M. Hancock. She was a principal. Um, There was other people who supported Bruce Dahman Memorial High School. He was a principal. But, of course, the concern is, well, gee, you know, what if something surfaces in their background that indicates that maybe they, too, would be unworthy of having a school named after them? Are we making the the same mistake? But anyhow, they're, they're still moving along briskly with changing the name of this school. Stories like this make my head explode. It, it really, it, it really just do. But it, it comes back to this: is how we how we tie into the concept of Fred. If it is so abhorrent to the people of Madison that we can no longer have James Madison Memorial High School, if it's just if that is glorifying slavery, if this is rewarding somebody who is unworthy, if this is a trigger for any student that would have to say, hey, I went to James Madison Memorial High School. Oh, my gosh, this is terrible. They can't learn. This is is a triggering thing. If, If we have to deal with the snowflakes who feel that way, my larger question is, how can we continue to have the capital city in the state of Wisconsin named Madison? I mean, if the justification is we've got to get rid of the high school, the name of the high school, because it is so offensive. What is the logical extension? Well, the logical extension is if you can't have the high school named after James Madison, how in the world can you have the city named after this? Where is the liberal angst? Where is the progressive agitation on this? And so I've been kind of wrestling with this, and that is one of the reasons why I I think, you know, in the spirit of this, if it's truly necessary to 86, the name James Madison from Madison James Madison Memorial High School. If that's truly necessary to do that, because it's just so offensive to have this. All right, isn't it time then to lead lead the drive to rename Madison? Now, I, I've been wrestling with names. I, I think I think we should call it Fred. I just I said let's let's not refer to Madison anymore as Madison because we don't want to offend people. Let's just let let's let's say Fred. So, all right, this this is it. The legislature's back in session in Fred. You know, we're going to Fred for the state boys' basketball tournament or the state girls' volleyball tournament or whatever. I mean, I think it is time for the populace of the state of Wisconsin, in keeping with the spirit of we can no longer have things named after James Madison because, well, it's just people are going to be offended by this. This is the same thinking that you had at UW-Madison or Under my plan, it would be UW Fred, where we had to remove, you know, that rock, that giant rock that was there from the 1920s, because there was some newspaper article in 1920, whatever, that used a racial slur referring to that. And now a 100 years later, people are complaining that they're being triggered by this. And this is terrible. And how could you how can we have a statue of Abraham Lincoln on the grounds of UW Fred? Because. Well, you know, don't you know that Abraham Lincoln really wasn't in favor of, despite all the other things he did, he really wasn't, you know, in favor of equal equal rights for everybody. So, you know, having the statue of Abraham Lincoln or having the rock or having the high school, these are all things that trigger people. We can't do this anymore. So that's fine. In the spirit of getting rid of James Madison Memorial High School, I say let's go all the way. In for a penny, in for a pound. Let's get rid of Madison in general. All right, are you with me? It's Fred. From now on, it's just Fred. And we'll let people just kind of and I'm sure there will be some people that come up and say, no, we can't do that because I don't know that's going to be, you know, misogynistic or there's somebody named Fred somewhere who was a terrible person. But at least for the time being, while we figure out a new name, let's just get rid of the name Madison. I mean, isn't that the think thought process? That's it. I'm going to Fred. Hey, we're electing the representatives. The session starts. They're heading out to Fred. We're going to give them the per diem. Just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth
1: Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I am always intrigued by by stories like this, because on the one hand, when you are playing sports... The, the purpose of sports is is to be competitive and to win, right? and and we we say, hey, we want to excel and we we look at the the kids who are really good at sports and we put them up on pedestals and things that's like. But then the question becomes what if they are too good? And, and here's an example of this. The story comes from not the Upper Peninsula, but it becomes from from Northern Michigan, like actually Northwest Michigan. And there is a a team in the uh, it's it's Benzie Central. And they have a very, very good soccer team. And on their their soccer team is a very, very good player. The kid's name is Kevin Hubble. And Kevin Hubble is viewed as is maybe the, the best soccer player in, in Michigan. Not just in, in this little community, you know, in, in northwest Michigan, but he's viewed as an outstanding soccer player. So what happens is Um, The other night, the team, it's actually September 29th, so it's a couple weeks ago. What happens is the the team, Benzie Central, is playing another team, another high school team. It's called Kingsley. Now, Kingsley, I'm a little bit unclear about how this, it's called the Northwest league that's the conference that they're in so they're in the same conference but i'm a little bit unclear as to exactly you know whether they're in the same divisions or what they are but anyhow anyhow this kingsley soccer team is apparently new they don't have a lot of kids the whole school district from kindergarten through 12th grade has about 1500 um so it, it it's it's small so they're playing soccer it's a soccer game and what happens is they're playing Benzie Central, and Benzie Central just, just kills them. Um, at halftime, it is 17 to nothing. 17 to nothing. And what they do is because it's 17 to nothing, they call the game off at the half. But, but here's what happened in the first half. This Kevin Hubble, who again is one of the best soccer players in Michigan, he scored 16 goals scored 16 goals in in one half all right so and and apparently it's this completely demoralized the the kingsley team apparently had some kids who were like crying and things like that and parents who were very very upset with this um who are now demanding that the coach of the winning team be fired they say this is just absolutely terrible um, you know, how how could you allow them in to do this? To which the coach says and the superintendent says, well, well look, you know, we, we want to have class. We want to have sportsmanship. And I think, you know, this is this is this is a lopsided score. And one of the things they point to is they say, hey, this Kingsley team, by the way, did you see the other night their junior varsity team won a football game 60 to nothing? You know they were ahead forty eight to nothing at the half and, and they they won sixty to nothing, their football team now admittedly, you know this soccer team, apparently it's starting off, they don't have as many kids, and they just got absolutely trounced, but they're out outraged, and some of the parents are outraged that you know th- this game got as out of hand as it did, seventeen to nothing, and they said that there's no reason why this kid should have been left in there to score sixteen games, sixteen goals to which the coach and the superintendent say, well you know, In retrospect, you know, maybe we should have a mercy rule. Maybe we should have ended the game at, at eight to nothing. You know? But at the same time, the coach says, hey, th- this, this kid was really, really hot. He was playing really, really great. How can I take him out? All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Th- this was clearly a humiliating loss for for this team, who was clearly outclassed when it came to soccer. They did not, they don't have a mercy rule in the league. They stopped the game at halftime. But did the winning team, you know, do something wrong? Should the coach have pulled the players? Should they have stopped trying? 855-616-1620. That's the accurate mortgage talk and text line. Uh, you know, whenever we hear topics like this, and feel free to disagree with me, I guess I just don't see how you can say to people who are athletes, "Here, you don't don't try hard, don't play." To me, that's even more insulting. If if these lopsided victories or losses are an issue, well, then, and I appreciate that they are, especially when you have you know some of these, especially in some of these uh, situations where you have like fledgling teams or they're, they're outmanned or whatever. I, I mean, my response has always been, if this is an issue. What you need to do is you need to treat it like little league baseball. You need to put in a mercy rule. You need to say, okay, once it gets to five nothing, or once it gets to eight nothing, or if it's a football game, once it gets to thirty-five nothing, or whatever your d- thing is going to be, at that point in time, you say, okay, we're going to stop the game. We're going to put in a mercy rule. But I don't think you have to say to the coaches, hey, you should get fired if you allow you know your star players to continue. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. What do you think?
1: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I I guess... I look at these situations and say, if we are concerned about lopsided victories, and I, I understand that. It's, I mean, it's, it's no fun. It's a soccer game. Can you imagine? It's 17 nothing at halftime, and you've got this one kid who clearly outclasses the the other team, and he scored 16, and, and, and my guess is he's going for a state record is what they're doing there, and the coach is letting him do that. And, and you can argue, okay, is it meaningful in that fashion? But if you want to stop it, what you do is you impose rules like we 're going to have a mercy rule, just like they do in in little league baseball and, and that 's fine. Have the mercy rule to prevent this, but I guess i just I have trouble saying all right to, to players we 're not going to let you play or we 're going to tell you not to play your your best. Put in a mercy rule to prevent these lopsided things, but until you have something like that, you know j- just don 't complain and, and maybe you shouldn 't schedule the schools i mean that that 's the reality as well, like I say, the irony of this Kingsley school complaining is. I was just looking at their their, – they're touting how they won – their junior varsity team won a football game 60 to nothing. Well, okay, it's kind of like you win 60 to nothing in junior varsity football and you're complaining that you're getting drubbed in soccer. It seems to me you can't really have it both ways, which is why it's such a slippery slope. Put in a mercy rule and and move on. Paul, Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes,
3: sir. I'm just wondering these – you know. Why are we doing these? These kids are probably potential, you know, college superstars or.
2: Well, the one kid can is go maybe. Or the yeah.
3: Olympics. Yeah, we, we, he can go on to the Olympic team. Why Why are we trying to, like, say, you can't do this, you can't do that?
0: Mm-hmm. Just because you're so good.
3: Well, you're yeah. Just an athlete.
2: Yeah, and 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 where does the I mean, and and thanks for the call, Paul. And, and at what point in time? What what is what is the limit? I mean, what, now you can say, okay, well, you shouldn't have let him in to score sixteen goals. Okay, well, at, at what point? What point do you pull him? Do you pull him? All right, we're ahead five to nothing, and we're five minutes into the game. We're ahead eight to nothing, and we're twenty minutes into the game. I mean, at, at what where does that point come in where you say? Okay, we're embarrassing the other team, and I understand they're embarrassing the other team, but, but where, where is this? You know, what, what is that, the unwritten rule in regard to that? And there might be all sorts of reasons to pull him out, and I think the coach, and would probably say in, in retrospect, maybe I, I should have pulled him, but I got caught up in the, the excitement and the kid is just playing great and he's firing all of these goals in and clearly the other team is overmatched. But at some point in time, isn't that a scheduling thing? I mean, isn't that an issue? Because you have this all the time. Maybe the team shouldn't have been playing in the first place to me, the way you deal with it is a mercy rule, or you just don't schedule them. I mean, it, some teams are just too good, and it's going to be embarrassing. I, I went to Nicolay High School, all right, for years and years and years. The Nicolay High School football team stunk. No offense, but it just wasn't any good. And they played against teams that buy, and I'm not saying every year in the X number of years I've been out of high school, but most years it wasn't any good. Some years, I think there was like one or two years, they didn't, they didn't field the team because they didn't have enough kids that came out. And they'd play some of the, the powerhouses in the area. They'd play Homestead. They'd play Cedarburg. They'd play you know, Port Washington. And they just get crushed. They they'd, You'd see these scores. It was 56 to 7, and it was 63 to nothing, and things like that. Well, okay, maybe maybe you could make an argument that you, you shouldn't have even scheduled the games in in the first place. And the teams knew that they were going to come out and they were going to get drubbed. But th- that to me, isn't a reason to say to the other teams, you, you've got to stop. Let's talk to Jason. Jason, you're on WTMJ.
5: Hi, thanks for taking my yes, call. Sir. Um, I'm a former, former high school and college soccer player. Um, I never was uh uh, a person who scored 16 goals in one game, but I will say this. um, I think you do need a mercy rule. I think you're exactly right about that. It should never be that a coach is under the pressure to remove a star player from a game, especially without a mercy rule, because he is contending for college. He is contending maybe for the Olympics and deserves the opportunity to produce the statistics and results that will get him the attention to go on to those venues. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't see how you pull him out of it or put the coach in a situation where he can't at least explain, hey, he would have scored even more goals if it wasn't for the mercy rule in our league.
2: Okay, now I've got a, you you, you played soccer so I, here's, here's a text. Um, the text says, Jeff, the coach should have told the kid not to shoot. Should have told him that he had to pass to the other players. He should not have been allowed to continue shooting at, at some point in time. Okay, you're a soccer player. What do you think about that?
5: I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because you do get points in your statistics in soccer for assists. So, from a team perspective, that may have been good guidance to help other players, you know, step Mm -hmm. up and become the player that he is.
2: Right, right. I guess my problem though is if 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 okay, you're you're driving down the field, you you get the you get the ball, you turn around, you've got an open shot at the goal. I mean, what does it say if the coach tells you don't take it? I guess to me, I, I wonder if that might even be more insulting to the other team that you've got this kid that can score, but he's not even trying anymore. That, I think that would bother me even a little bit more to say, okay, the guy thinks I'm so bad he's not even going to try to play with me.
5: I, I don't disagree with you, Jeff. I mean, it, it all started when I watched my nephew's t-ball game where every game ended in a tie. Right, and I don't know where that started, but that's how it started, and um, I, I just think it's a horrible, uh, um, misguided, um,
2: yeah. you know, set of
5: rules to, to place on uh, on individuals, especially individuals who have the opportunity to excel at something like it sounds like this kid
2: does. Yeah. No. Thanks Nicole. I guess somebody's text. Oh, you just don't understand sportsmanship. No, I, I understand sportsmanship fine. I, I also understand that these are are competitive sort of situations, and that's, you know, if if we are at a position where you have certain teams that are at a competitive imbalance, rather than saying, okay, other teams shouldn't play their best players and try. There's other ways that you can deal with it, starting with, like, not scheduling the, the, the teams together if you know it's going to be a blowout, putting in all sorts of different rules that would prohibit, that just end the game when the game should have been ended. I, I mean, they're saying that they, they probably should have ended the game at 8 nothing. I don't know what an appropriate mercy rule would be in, in high school soccer, but, I mean, certainly... You no know, it would seem to me if you're behind 5 to nothing or you're behind 8 to nothing or something you're you're not coming back and so that they all agreed to knock it off at halftime maybe they should have all agreed to knock it off 20 minutes into it I, I don't know how i would feel if i was a player on that losing team if all of a sudden it's like oh well, you don't even get a chance to try to score a, ga- a goal but as far as firing the coach no i think the league needs to look at the rules and the school needs to look at itself and say, OK, well, maybe maybe we're just not ready to play soccer in, in this league. And so maybe we should you know, pull back till we get more interest in it. And by the way, maybe we should look at our junior varsity football team that just won 60 to nothing, because isn't that just as much of a trouncing? Just saying.
1: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: For the last several years, I've heard a lot of whining from people on the left side of the aisle saying, oh, this is just terrible. Wisconsin's gerrymandered and, and, you know, you've got these voting districts that are just improperly drawn and we, we have to do something and don't you realize Democrats would control this state if we did? Well, here, here's the, the problem with, with all that. In Wisconsin, geographically, the vast majority of the state tends to vote Republican. Democrat voters are centralized in in some areas, City of Milwaukee, for example, Dane County in general, the city of Madison or the city of Fred in particular, and and they're just just heavily Democratic areas that are there. So When it comes to redistricting, we have to do redistricting, you you have to redraw district lines. But one of the things that I think the Democrats would like to do is, okay, let's take these areas where you've got a lot of Democrats that live and let's redraw the boundaries. So let's get more of those Democrats into Republican areas. All right. Well, there's a huge problem with that because, and you're starting to see that, Milwaukee County, the supervisors have now rejected two of the quote-unquote nonpartisan efforts to do that because what's happening is they're saying, look, if you do this, you're violating the Voting Rights Act because the one thing that you cannot do is you cannot draw districts on racial lines and you can't essentially try to minimize the influence of minority voters. And a lot of these different things than these different versions that they're coming up with would do exactly that they would dilute in the effort to try to get more democrats into republican areas what they're doing is they're throwing out municipal boundary lines and they're they're moving minority voters into areas where that there there might be non non-minor- more non-minority voters so they're diluting the impact of Uh, again, minority districts, in an effort to try to take more Democratic votes and put them like out in the suburbs and stuff. And the one thing that you cannot do under the law, absolutely, is you can't dilute the impact of the minority vote. So this is part of the, the problem. I mean, the real underlying problem that Democrats have in Wisconsin, in my opinion, is not the way the districts are drawn. It's the fact that Democrats are highly concentrated in a couple areas of of the state. And that's just the reality. And when you draw voting lines, it doesn't make any sense, for example, to take the community of Shorewood and, and turn that into three separate districts, assembly districts, for the purposes of shifting more Democrats, you know, one way or, or the other. No, it make, makes more sense to have, like Shorewood as a whole, to be one district, the same sort of thing. But that's not possible to do unless if it's not possible to split up these districts without also significantly diluting the impact of minority votes in many areas. And that's an absolute no-no. And that's the problem they have. Bottom line is keep municipalities together, keep areas together. And if that means all right, you've got some heavily Republican districts and heavily Democrat districts. That's just kind of the way it works. And maybe if Democrats want to do better in the state assembly or the state Senate, what they need to do is figure out a way to convince people from Milwaukee or Madison or Racine to to move into some of those outlying districts. Just saying.
5: Welcome
3: back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: All right. The good news is that the COVID numbers are getting better. And that that's just kind of the reality. Here's the deal. The state says um, there's been a decline in the seven-day average of COVID-19 cases for five consecutive days. The seven-day average is about 2,300 cases up from a month ago, um, but down from the average high. I mean, the average seven-day average was as high as 2,900 cases September 20th. Um Now it's 2,200 cases. The Wisconsin Hospital Association reported Thursday that 292 patients remain in intensive care. That's the first time that fewer than 300 patients have been in the ICU since September 1st. Those are good numbers. That those numbers are moving in the right direction. The vaccination numbers, all right, decent too. Let's look at the city of Milwaukee. About 57% of Milwaukee's residents who are at least 16 years old have been fully vaccinated. About 62% of residents at least 16 years old and about 39% of children between ages 12 and 15 had at least one dose of the vaccine since late September. So you've got to figure that those numbers are going to continue to go up. Hopefully they will continue to go up more. You've had uh, more and more employers that have imposed vaccine mandates. And while that's not going to completely solve the problem and you're going to lose some employees and it's going to cause a problem with with some people. Those vaccine mandates are, I think, inspiring some people to to get vaccinated. And my guess is those numbers are going to go up. OK, so that's the background. That, that's the good news. But covid is, of course still with us, and people still get hospitalized, and people still die, unfortunately, as a result of this. All right, so where is this going? There is a huge debate playing right out right now in the city of Milwaukee with regard to mask mandates. The city does not have a mask mandate in place. Um, That is in contrast to, let's see, Dane County, The city of Fred, that would be Madison, Racine and the city of Chicago have have mask mandates. And you have some of the very liberal members of, say, the Common Council who are are pushing. They're saying, hey, look, what what we need to do is we need to we need to go here. We need to go back to the mask mandates like we had whenever we, we had them before. We need the health commissioner to do that. So far, the, the health commissioner has said, no, I, I'm not going to do that, and said, look, here, here's the reason. They said, as a general rule, we, if we were to impose an overall mask mandate, there's no guarantee that we would achieve our desired outcome. See, because the truth of the matter is, if you look at where the vast majority of people are getting COVID-19, they're, they're, they're not getting it in these public places. They're getting it at private gatherings. And we don't have a mechanism for enforcement for this. You know, if you decide that you're going to have 20 people, you can put in an indoor mask mandate. All right. We'll find good, good luck. When somebody decides I'm going to have the house party, I'm going to invite 20 people over to my house for dinner or whatever, and, and people don't wear masks and somebody is sick and then everybody else gets COVID. All right, you're not, as a practical matter, in this real world, you can say we've got a mask mandate, but nobody's going to follow that. Nobody followed that before. So the health commissioner is saying, look, I don't want to do stuff that I don't think is going to be effective, you know, given like where we are. Now and she said, look, if if businesses want to impose mask requirements, that's great. If Milwaukee public schools want to impose mask requirements, that that's great. If private schools decide that they want to do it, that that's great. But as far as the city imposing an overall mask mandate, Health Commissioner says I'm not there. Our number, eight five five, six one six, one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Hooray for common sense. I, I mean, I guess it, that this is during the entire COVID conversation. I, I've, been, I've been arguing that you need to like, think through the real world implications of, of these things. And the government coming in and saying, okay, we're going to have you wear masks without any real way of enforcing that. To me, has never made any sense, and it particularly doesn't make any sense now. If employers want to do it, fine. If the school boards want to do it, well, that's a matter with the school board and things like that. But unless you're going to tell me how you can enforce mask mandates at places like indoor gatherings and stuff, I, I don't I don't support it. And this idea that, okay, well, we're going to put these rules into effect because it's going to make us feel good. Well, all right, show me where the COVID cases are coming from. And if you can tie them into a restaurant that doesn't have a mask mandate or something, I'm willing to have that conversation. But clearly, that's not where the data is now. Okay, 855-616-1620, that's the accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I guess the easier thing to do is just to say, well, they do it in Madison, you know, they do it in Fred, they do it in Racine, we should just go back to where we were, we should tell everybody that they've got to wear masks any they're indoors in a public setting, and then we can think we're accomplishing something. right? Is that really something that makes sense, given where we are with covid in now what october of 2021 eight five five six one six one six twenty i think businesses have a right to put on ma- in mask mandates i think you that have a right to decide whether you want to patronize the business or not but as far as in this case the city of milwaukee health department saying we're going to go back to mask mandates everywhere without any necessary evidence that that's going to stop in any significant way the spread of COVID, i say no what do you think
1: This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ.
2: This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Contact them at 920-291-3800 or visit PellaWI.com to learn about the Pella Promise and to set up a free, that is, free consultation. That's Pella Windows and Doors. Pella Now, Pay Later, our featured sponsor this week on our home improvement showcase. All right. I admit that I have been critical in the past of the formerly Ozaki County, now, um, Milwaukee County Health Commissioner. But in this case, I, I think she's just dead on correct. During the, uh, during the entire COVID thing for the last year and a half, you know, we've been told to follow the science. Well, the problem is science sometimes it 's not like it 's black and white. the science changes or people interpret things in in different ways there 's no conclusion necessarily as okay what what does the science really tell us? And when it comes to mask mandates and the shutdowns, for example, that the Evers administration imposed that did very great damage to the economy, my point was always these need to be targeted. This idea of this one-size-fits-all thing, and the problem in Green Bay is the same as the problem in Racine, which is the same as the problem in Bayfield, that never made any sense to me. The other aspect of this is the whole notion that if you're going to impose rules – You have to figure out, first of all, are the rules going to be, are they going to solve the problem or is this just going to make us feel good? You know, is that it? And secondly, if we impose rules, do we realistically have any ways of enforcing them? So here's what the, the health commissioner says. She says, look, an indoor mask mandate within the city of Milwaukee, there's no guarantee We're going to achieve the outcome we want to achieve. That is talking about slowing the spread. The enforcement piece is another component that's incredibly challenging. People are getting it in places the mask mandate would not touch. This includes surrounding communities as well as gatherings at home. Um, Yeah. Um, should also, my, my concern is that if, if I try to impose another one of these rules, what's going to happen is the legislature might come in and try to strip me of my authority to do that for other situations, like if there's an outbreak of measles or, or something like that. So the, the basic conclusion is, look, I just don't think this is a battle worth fighting at this point in time until you can show me the data that says that the people who are, are getting COVID for example, are are getting it from the places where um, you would expect that um, the, the mask mandate would apply. Let me give you an example. All right, last week I, I was at I was at American Family Field. I went to the games on Friday and Saturday. The game on Friday, the roof was closed, so you've got forty plus thousand people, however many people they had that were there. There were some people that were wearing masks, but the vast majority of people weren't wearing masks. It was an enclosed area. Now, admittedly, it's not like a a closed-in basement, but, I mean, I haven't heard any reports suggesting that it was a super-spreader event, you know, and just, and it wasn't, and there was most people that were, were not wearing masks. The same thing's going to be true, I think, with the Bucks' first home game is next week. You know, if you sit right by the court, there's a mask requirement, but otherwise, I don't believe that there is a mask requirement in the vast majority of FISA forum. So people are going to be there, there, and, and we're not going to get reports of major spreads of COVID through that. I mean, let's face it, the, the truth is, you know, if, if you're looking at where the big spreaders are, it probably is things like private parties and things like that, like that. So if that's where it's coming from and you can't enforce it, why impose the mask rule? Um Jeff, same group of people. Um, who want the mask rules say we should not have, we should say we should have to request straws in restaurants. Unenforceable and impractical for those who actually run restaurants. Maybe the Milwaukee Common Council should turn their attention to shootings and car thefts all over the city. Well, that would be, I think, a great idea. But the problem is that they, they don't have any ideas as to how to deal with shootings and car thefts across the city. So it's easier to say, hey, you know, what's what's going on? Um, what What's going on? Why don't we just let, let's put the mask requirement back and that'll make covid go away. Um, nothing. Jeff, how refreshing to hear common sense coming from a government official. If someone feels safer wearing a mask indoors, Go ahead. If the masked person is afraid of unmasked people, then they should stay home. I guess that's kind of my philosophy about, you know, this this as well. I mean, if you're in a situation where you you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you're in a situation where you are afraid of this for whatever reason, vaccinated, unvaccinated, whatever, and you are afraid to be in public spaces, and you're so afraid, and, and I'm, not, I'm not mocking that, but if that's the situation, you are so concerned about being around other people. Well, then, you know, masks or no masks, you, you, you probably you know, shouldn't be out and about that. That's just kind of the reality of this. And that's an individual decision that you make and that I respect businesses. If businesses want to put mask requirements in making their employees wear masks. OK, that that's fine. If businesses want to say, hey, we've got a mask requirement for you to come into our particular store, that's fine. You know, um that's fine. You're you're set. Jeff, if you're vaccinated, you can still give COVID to others. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, I understand that there's breakthrough cases, but that's always going to be the situation that that's unless we're going to sit there and say, okay, we're going to put on hazmat suits for the rest of our our lives. At at some point in time, you have to understand that there's all about risks that are there, which is one of the reasons why people, the more people who get vaccinated and the more people who get their booster shots, the more safe people will be. There's no guarantees No guarantees at all. But at some point in time, there's no guarantee that you're going to walk out of the house and you're not going to get hit by a falling tree branch or city of Milwaukee. You're not going to get hit by a reckless driver who's tried to steal a car who hits you as you're in an intersection. I mean, there there's just no guarantees. People have to balance those risks for themselves. In this case. I think recognizing that people, let's just face it, people aren't going to follow these mask rules to begin with. I mean, I think people are in many cases just past that. And I think the health commissioner is probably right in recognizing this is not a battle that I choose to fight at this point in time. This is Jeff Wagner. What a difference a, a few months make when Joe Biden got elected president. And yes, Joe Biden won the election. He got more votes. No, no question about it. But I, I think at first it's, oh, this is great. Donald Trump is gone and the chaos is gone. And, and I think Joe Biden is probably going to go down his history as being the guy who who defeated Donald Trump. Um, but. But beyond that, that the honeymoon is clearly over in the very beginning of the Biden administration. He was getting high performance marks because, well, he's apparently he's got got this way of dealing with covid and things like that, which was really essentially to just take it more seriously, perhaps, than President Trump had taken it. But that only took us so far because we've had the recurring outbreak of of covid. So his handling of covid is down. Uh, The way he's handled stuff at the border has been an absolute and total disaster. I think that that would be fair to say. You have the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which has been an absolute and total disaster. I think that that is fair to say. You've had a variety of other issues that have been out there, and now you have inflation, and this is the bottom line. A lot of times when it comes to voters, there, there's all sorts of different images that are out there. But at the bottom line, a lot of people vote their pocketbooks. They, they, they just do. How do they feel about their economic situation? How do they feel about their prospects? And, and, and right now... Lots of Americans aren't comfortable with this. You have inflation, which is pretty much out of control. And now you have the, the latest movement, which is in some respects it might be premature, but it, it's a harbinger of things to come. It's this hashtag empty shelves Joe movement. Right now, it's, it's no secret. There are huge disruptions in the supply chain. And and it goes back, it starts with COVID, starts with the pandemic, and the closures of factories and things like that. And 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 it's gotten worse and worse because what you have is you have all these, for example, these cargo ships that are full of cargo, but they can't get into the ports. And when they get into the ports, there's nobody to unload the cargo ships. And when they unload the cargo ships, there's there's not enough truckers around to drive the stuff to the, the different locations. And we've got Christmas coming up. I understand that we're not quite at Halloween, but, you know, the the Christmas shopping season is going to start relatively soon. And what you're starting to see now is you're seeing, well, th- these it's pictures of empty shelves. And the whole thing is hashtag empty shelves, Joe, which is pointing out that all right, we, we've got things that aren't going well when it comes to these supply chain problems. Now, Biden is trying to deal with this. Biden says, I'm going to order the ports in Los Angeles to be open 24 hours. And, and that strikes me as being a good move. But it's only just one step because we don't have the truck drivers to drive the stuff all over the country. You're still going to have the, these empty shelves that are there. But this this is a big deal. And I'm just telling you in advance, watch this. Because if we do get to a point where people start to go out and get serious about their Christmas shopping and they find that all these things that they want for their kids or for their grandkids or for their spouses or for their friends and they find that they're just not able to get them. Well, at some point in time, somebody's going to get blamed for that. And my guess is the most likely person to get blamed for that is um, the president of the United States, fair or not. But this empty shelves, Joe movement, something to watch, because this could really be a political game changer, much more so, I think, than Afghanistan, much more so than the, the border stuff even much more so than COVID because this is something that affects people's pocketbooks and if they go into stores and find they can't get the stuff they want they're going to get angry back with more in just a minute live from the Annex Wealth
1: Management Studios at Historic Radio City this is the Jeff Wagner Show
2: and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner good afternoon Wisconsin welcome back to the show is it is it a sign that the cancel culture is starting to fade, or is this just a, a one-off? I want to revisit something we talked about maybe earlier this week in kind of a different way. Uh, very popular comedian, Dave Chappelle, who is under fire. He has a, a new Netflix show. He's got a deal with, with Netflix, and he comes out with these comedy specials. And he's a very controversial um, black comedian, does a lot of race-based stuff, um, he, he's edgy. And I think everybody knows right now he one of the things that he's edgy on is his approach to the transgender community. He describes himself as um, as turf, um, team turf. That's an acronym for trans exclusionary radical feminist. That's a term used for a group of people who argue that a transgender woman's biological sex determines her gender and cannot be changed. J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter books, who is very much an an advocate for you know gay rights and things of the like, um, she's she's gotten in trouble with the transgender community because that's what she argues. She argues that you know gender is, is your gender. And it, it's and it it can't be it can't be changed. I mean, you can uh, you can be a woman who identifies as a man or a man who identifies as a woman, but it doesn't change the fact that that that's you know your 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 gender is based on your genitalia, etc. So, that th- that's the theory that, that is out there. And Rowling has gotten a lot of of attention for this. So anyhow, uh, Dave Chappelle comes out with this new netflix show it debuted on october 5th it's called the closer and it's a stand-up comedy show i watched it last night got netflix so I, i actually watched it and um it was at least as of like late last week it it if you look at it, it's Netflix. Netflix is the stuff about things that are trending, and it's it's been in the top ten. It's I don't know that it was number one yesterday. It might have been number four or something like that. But lots and lots of people are, are watching. Maybe more people are watching it because of the controversy. Because to tell you the truth, if there wasn't the controversy, I, I'm not sure that I would have, have watched it. But it, it's a, in this lengthy stand up routine. He does all sorts of things, but he does do you know this, this segment. Where he, he's talking about and he's making fun, I guess, he's doing comedy of, of some transgender people. Okay, so, so that's, that's it. But it's part of the overall comedy experience that, that he's doing. And you can find it funny or you can find it not funny, you know, that, that's, that's your call. But once this happened, you had at least some members of the transgender community, including a couple of people who worked at Netflix, who were absolutely outraged about this. They said it's this is transphobic. And, you know, actually, Chapella said, oh, maybe I am a little bit transphobic. But, you know, they were just outraged that Netflix would even allow a comedian on there who might mock aspects of the the transgender experience and they got extremely upset um glad which is an organization that monitors the news media and entertainment companies for bias against the LGBTQ community they've criticized the special Netflix staff at least a small number of them and said oh this is terrible it could incite harm against transgender People, um, some of those employees have gone so far as they stormed into a a board meeting and they've now been suspended. Now, at least thus far, Netflix has has not, you know, backed down. Um, The president of Netflix says, look, here's the deal. Um, This is very popular with Netflix um, subscribers. You know, we understand that uh, Chappelle can be very, very controversial. And, you know, but, but people people love that controversy. And they say, look, this is stand-up comedy. Comedians say outrageous things for effect. Some people like the art form, some do not. But essentially, Netflix has said thus far, we're not backing down. Now, in the mainstream media, there's one story after another about how is this going to be the undoing of Netflix, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, the headline in the LA Times, Netflix takes a hit over fallout from Chappelle's special. Now, I I don't know exactly where that comes from. They they quote some... Uh, again, LGBTQ activists are saying, oh, this is terrible. But as far as I can tell, it's not stopping people from watching the comedy special. And it's sure not stopping people from going out and attending concerts. Um, he, he did a comedy thing the other day. And apparently what happened is he comes out, he gets the standing ovation. And his response to the standing ovation from the sold out crowd is, well, if this is being canceled, bring it on. So it, it appears that in this particular case, the the, the Netflix is standing behind him. Now, maybe it's easy to sta- easier to stand behind him because he is you know, a black comedian as opposed to if this were a middle-aged white com- comedian who'd said the same thing. I don't know if that's a factor, but it's also clearly what this guy does is extremely popular. People are, are watching it, and at least the vast majority of people have no problem with this. And at least thus far... Netflix is is not giving in to the the pressure from some vocal opponents on the other side our number is 855-616-1620 that is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line see my response to the cancel culture has always been if you don't like something don't watch it don't listen to it don't go to the movie don't buy the book don't turn on the TV set or turn on a different channel. Turn off the radio, all those things. And if somebody is so very, very over the line with regard to stuff, well, sooner or later, the, the, the just the free market's going to catch up to them. If somebody is so offensive that people, like, I, I don't want to watch this, I can't watch this, etc. all right, and if nobody goes and buys the tickets, well, pretty much, that what happens is, all right, they, they either have to change their shtick or, you know, they end up, you know, not having a job. But this idea that, okay, folks are outraged and we should we should make Netflix take down this show and comedians shouldn't allow themselves to be edgy. Sorry, I, I don't buy into it. And I'm wondering whether or not the Netflix reaction to the blowback that Dave Chappelle is getting, essentially saying we're not going along with this, I'm wondering whether... This is just a one-off type of situation or whether this might be the start of something larger. Maybe this might be more and more people saying, look, we're sorry if you're offended by something, but you don't have a right to not be offended. And just because you are offended and you're bothered by something, we're not going to cancel it. We're not going to fire the person. We're not going to cancel our contract. We're not going to do more shows with this particular comedian just because you don't like some of the material. If you don't like the material go with god don't don't watch it if your friends don't like the material that's fine don't watch it is this unique to this one very very admittedly popular comedian or might this be the start of of something larger where we recognize that maybe this cancel culture that's out there now is getting out of control i don't know if you saw the latest example clint eastwood who is an american icon right clint eastwood last week they went after him for something, a joke he made at the Oscars in 1973 that was arguably insensitive to Native Americans. So somebody found this thing on YouTube from 1973 at the Oscars. Oh, we, this Clint Eastwood, we got to get rid of him. Well, there's all sorts of reasons not to watch Clint Eastwood movies, but th- this this movement to kind of cancel Clint Eastwood based on something he said in 1973 ended up going nowhere. Are we seeing perhaps an end to the cancel culture and my response is, I sure as heck hope so. 855 616 1620, what do you think?
1: Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: 855 616 1620. Somebody texts, um, it, it, they pass it on. I said, To anyone out there who was offended by the Dave Chappelle special, might I suggest two wholesome family friendly alternatives in a picture of Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy? Who, you know, Richard Pryor is, that, is, is a great example of that. I mean, Richard Pryor, you want to talk about edgy and with comedy and stuff like that, very very heavy race based comment. And, and Richard Pryor was was funny. Richard Pryor was offensive, but but that was that was where his comedy came from. I don't hear anybody saying we would, should have canceled you know Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy. The, the same thing to to an extent. You're you're out there you're, you're being edgy. Yes, some people are going to be offended, but you know what? Maybe. Wagner's rule of life number one applies life is tough get a helmet somebody texts and saying, are you saying there should be no standards no I'm not saying that at all I'm saying though that people should decide what those standards are if you find any comedian for example if you find this to be offensive and you don't want to buy the albums or go to the show that's okay but this idea that you we should pressure that um, vocal small numbers of people should be able to pressure companies to not let anybody else see this comedian because you think it doesn't meet your standards, I think that's where the issue comes in. And, of course, there's got to be standards. Lamar from Orlando. Lamar, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
6: Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Uh, The the great philosopher, and I'm being funny, uh, Jay-Z, said, it costs you nothing to pay me no mind. I, I hope that this is the start of a change in the cancel culture, because I'm tired of it. I'm tired of people digging up stuff from folks, you know, 10 years ago. 1973, years ago, saying, Clint Eastwood.
2: Oh, 1973, Clint That's Eastwood makes time. a joke. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's on YouTube. Yeah. But but yeah, it was be- actually the, the person who found it. It was before his time, too. But, you know, you're going down, you're searching YouTube. I found this. He said it at the Oscars in 1973. I'm offended. Let's cancel Clint Eastwood. Huh. You know.
6: Jeff, 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 if you see Cap me in my 20s, you would be like, oh my God, this guy's terrible. And then look at the man that I've become. You would think, you know, you, you understand people change. They grow, they change. You know, there's so many examples of people that are not, you're not the same person you were 10 years ago, let alone 40 years ago. Right. And, but the comments piece, especially when you're talking about a paid subscription, you know, you're, you're talking about comments made on a, on a, Your paid show and a paid subscription, you you don't have to even watch that. You don't have to subscribe to that. If you don't like what they have to offer, don't watch it. Right. Point point, point blank, simple. And I'm glad that it was Dave Chappelle that, you know, because he makes a lot of money for Netflix and no one tells a story like Dave does. I'm glad that they decided, you know, enough is enough. And I hope that we are
2: changing. Yeah. Thanks for calling. I mean, and, and it's this idea of what offends people. No, look, I, I understand that all sorts of people have all sorts of opinions on the whole transgender issue. Okay, but but I, I don't think that just because, for example, that you think that somebody who has male body parts who identifies as a female, you don't think it's a great idea for that person to walk into a female locker room where there's small children. I, I, I don't this idea that oh that makes you horrible or that makes you transphobic or or whatever. I mean, I think that that's a, a it's you can agree with that position. You can disagree with that position. But does this mean that, OK, if you feel that way, you, you somehow have to be canceled? You know, that means you're full of hate or things like that. that. That's this idea that this fact that we're weaponizing the fact that people might be offended about stuff. And again, I, I agree with Dave Chappelle or not. I don't care that that's that's your own opinion. It's this position that, OK, he, we can't he can't even be able to tell these stories. Oh, my gosh, Netflix has to cancel him. You can't have this person on. We can't have this person on television because they said this. We can't have this person on the radio because they they said that. Well, I mean, if you don't like him, and I appreciate what Lamar is saying, all right, it's a paid subscription service. Don't watch it. That's it. Here's a text. Jeff, I watched the uh, comedy special you're referring to, and I, I thought it was funny. I agree with you. If you don't like something, don't watch it. That's Justin from... Um, Chicago, right. I mean, I, I think, you know, that's it, Jeff. I don't think we are close to the end of the cancel culture when a coach has to resign over personal emails from 10 years ago, long before he was with the team that weren't even that derogatory. He's referring to the John Gruden thing. Well, they were derogatory and that the, the problem with the Gruden thing is it was just so incredibly stupid that you would that you would would do something like that That's a, i think it 's a little bit different, and the problem is with John Gruden, I think he just became such of a of a hot potato with so many different groups. That it just became more trouble for the Los, Ange- Los Angeles for the um, Las Vegas Raiders to keep him, but yeah, I mean we're we're starting to see all these different things, and I'm just wondering if maybe there's going to be just maybe a bit of a pushback. Sam in Milwaukee, Sam, you're on WTMJ.
6: Yeah, uh, I watched the Dave Chappelle, uh, and it was a great stand-up, and. If anybody just watches all the way through, he had a transgender uh, friend that did stand up, that opened for him. And he tells this very emotional story. And I don't think cancel culture is really going to go away as long as people just bend the knee. So companies like Netflix that are standing up against this cancel culture, also with Joel Rogan, Mm -hmm. with Spotify, people are trying to cancel him. As long as these companies don't bend the knee, as long as people don't bend the knee... They will eventually get tired but because we people cave into it, they're just giving them a voice and they're more power this way
2: well right and it right it's it, it actually you're exactly right because what happens is okay we, we've been able to take this person out for this thing here let's try to push that envelope let's try to say we're offended by this and we're gonna try to take that person out and that person out and it's you know, I mean sometimes when you have people that are so incredibly popular it, it's tough to take that on oh well, thanks to calling, and, and so I mean, look I, I I don't know maybe this is the start of something yes I think there have to be standards but I mean I'll, I'll give you an example all right so uh two weeks ago we were in las vegas my wife and i and my brother-in-law my sister-in-law and one night we went to brad garrett's comedy club i might have told this story before and you know the tickets were relatively pricey we went to the comedy club they had three performers not brad garrett and every third word out of every one of the comedians was the the f word and and a lot of the humor was very scatological i mean and and look it it was an adult crowd i i understand that but it was just kind of it it just got old I, i mean and it was just it was one of these things where it's like oh okay I don't need to hear that word every sentence. And I think it wasn't a question of uncomfortable. It was just like, yeah, this just isn't funny. And, and so, but, but that's fine. I'm, I, I didn't go up to the, the people running the comedy club and saying, oh, I was offended by the fact that, you know, this word was used every, you know, every sentence. And can't these people figure out ways to try to do routines that are funny without throwing all that, that language in and stuff? I just said, okay. I'm probably not coming back here again. Yeah, it, it was, it was bothersome. It was kind of tedious, but that's all right. I, I mean, I'm going to vote with my wallet. I'm going to vote with my feet. I'm not going back there again. That, that, that's okay. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be able to put on the show because some, because I found it potentially offensive. It's just like, okay, go, go ahead, put on the show. Just do it without me. That's the way I think you respond. You see something you don't like. You think somebody is out of line. You think that they've said something that is inappropriate. Fine. Just ignore them. That's ignore them. And and that's the way you deal with it. Don't demand that, hey, you shouldn't be allowed to put this person on. I don't want to see this show anymore. I don't want to hear that song anymore. you got to cancel the record contract. You can't do any of this stuff. No. I mean, just... Vote with your pocketbook and let the free market decide. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.